to the jackal's head brought to you by myself the jackal and my news informant slash co-host slash good friend slash gentleman on the line mr jamie havican here on the jackal's head we're going to investigate tonight mr staten friedman's new book science was wrong and yes. i know a lot of folks have heard you know staten friedman speak and you guys have heard him do interviews in the past, but I plan to do something special here tonight for Mr. Stanton Friedman. And just stick around for that because that alone is going to be something really cool. And he is going to be, I believe, touched by what I have to say to the man. I'm a big, big fan. Of, as you know, Jamie, I'm a big fan of Mr. Friedman. And it's an honor to have him back on the show here tonight. But welcome to the Jackal's Head, everybody who's listening in, both on Tenacity Radio and on the Paranormal Soup Network on this beautiful Saturday night. It is a beautiful Saturday night, is it? Isn't it not, Jamie? Yeah, it is. So Clear skies is. So over far. here. Well, we were gonna do a sky watch tonight, but uh, you know, we got the jackal's head. Maybe tomorrow night yes, it'll do. be clear. You know, we we've had storms lately in Florida, and I think it's the first clear night we've had. I can't it's wait. Been. Yeah. 
You know, I, I can't wait till October. You know, in October when that first cool front comes down, you get the crisp bear. I just can't wait. Yeah, that's the best time of year. I think October, November, that time period. It's well, we still have Florida guys. Yeah, um, we still have August to uh, pretend with, and that's the brutalest month. I mean, July and August are just terrible. Yes, and luckily for us here in Florida, we haven't been hit hard so far this season with any hurricanes. We had Bonnie, who just uh, was a tropical storm recently, and that came and went and did absolutely no damage, thank God. Of course, we have the you know the BP oil crisis, uh, which they seem to be you know finally getting some kind of resolution out of that. But there's a lot of stuff in the news, and Jamie, you brought some uh, stuff to the table today that you said huh. were was actually going to blow my mind. Yes. Well, that knocking you might have heard was me knocking on wood when you said we haven't had much hurricane news or whatever. Yes. Hold on. So you might have heard this. That was me knocking on wood, and I think you should do the same. Okay. Knocking on wood. Yeah, it's been a clear year, and, you know, I've been in Florida for over two decades, actually three decades almost now. Um close to it anyway and uh let me tell you something i've been through hurricane andrew and a bunch of the different yep. hurricanes in fact when we first got to florida uh was when hurricane andrew first hit yep we were both you know, in andrew like a couple it was a couple you were, years before you, so i've been through with some of the big ones yep you you were more towards the eye of andrew but i was also in andrew i was in the eye of yep. charlie a category four but yeah let's get into the news we got one very controversial story to get to, but this first story is really excited, and I'm happy for my buddy Roger Marsh of the UFO Examiner. He's seen a UFO when he was a kid, and, uh, you know, he does sky watches and stuff like that, but it's been 37 years since I've seen a UFO, and finally this evening, Thursday, July 29th at 10.59 p.m., I was blessed with watching something odd in the late evening sky. Keep in mind, a UFO is not necessarily an alien craft from a faraway galaxy or an interdimensional right. travelers. It's just something flying through the air you cannot immediate identify, immediately identify. My 17-year-old right. son, Joey, and myself had stepped out, back, uh, out the back door onto our deck on our Scottsdale, Pennsylvania home, we have a wooden ramp that moves off this for my wife's wheelchair. Uh, Joey was going off to a friend's house that night, and I was just seeing him out. As he uh, stomped down the ramp uh, into the backyard, I looked up into the northeast sky. A giant green fireball suddenly caught my attention, and I immediately shouted to Joey to look up. We both watched, watched this object silently moving in a downward motion and lost sight of it only behind our neighbor's Debbie's two-story frame house one block away. Joey and I both agree it was huge, about the size of a nickel at arm's length. I have no idea how far the object was, but it was definitely green and seemed to be on fire. Joey recalls it was spewing fire from behind it. So that's cool when you get, you know... When a guy admits he hasn't seen a UFO in 37 years and it's somebody, you know, with the credibility of Roger Marsh's status, then, um, yeah. you know. But uh, let's read this next story and then we're going to go into the controversial story of the day. This one's coming from Tecronati, which has really been putting out a lot of UFO stories lately. Commercial airline pilot says UFOs are real. 
With nearly 30,000 flight hours under his belt, Jim Carrant's qualifications as a major passenger airline captain are solid. So is his conviction that the UFO phenomenon is real. I got the proof that I was after, Corrant says. That's the part I won't discuss, but obviously something has kept me in this, taking chances I have. The nature of the proof that he found isn't all that Corrant won't discuss. Concerns about professional repercussions. He declines to confirm the name of his airline, nor will he reveal the identities of some high-level officials who he says have confirmed the extraterrestrial presence in conversations with him. So uh, he did drop a few names like Gordon Cooper and Edgar Mitchell. And uh, for right now, he's pretty much keeping it uh, on the wraps until, Hmm. you know, maybe it'll come forward. But, uh, Jack, are you ready for this? Ready for this controversial story? I'm, I'm so ready. I think me being so ready almost knocked you off of your chair. Are you okay there? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. Oh, okay, good, good. Yeah, I'm ready, man. I'm telling you, this one has uh, had me scratching my head all night since you told me it was going to blow my mind. Okay, so, you ready? Blow, blow my mind. I'm ready. Go for it. Sheriff Nephew claims Travis Walton's hoax was well known. Oh, boy. Let's let those without sin cast the first stone. The accusation. Okay, you all alien freaks, I hate to ruin your dreams, but the truth about Travis Walton? Well, I am from Scottsdale, Arizona, which is where Travis Walton is from, and I graduated with his oldest kid, whose name is Clifton, and his cousin Donovan graduated in the same class. Just trying to prove my point that I did, and it was the class of 96. My great-uncle, Sank Flake, was the county sheriff at the time of his abduction. Travis Saint Walton... Flake. Yep, that's his name. Sank Flake. Saint Flake. Tra- okay. Travis Walton and Mike Rogers worked together for a couple of years in the White Mountains, cutting lumber down for paper mills. It's common knowledge to all residents of Young, Arizona, which is where Travis apparently was abducted, uh, that the Air Force did a lot of testing maneuvers through the mountains. For training. For us who have been camping in the White Mountains for most of our lives, on rare occasions, the forest ranger will come to campers and say there might be helicopters and other stuff flying around the air tonight. Please do not be alarmed if you get spotlighted. It'll only be for a few seconds. Here's my point Mike and Travis were hiding, uh, Mike and Travis were way behind on contracts, so they were hired a few extra hands. Uh, which took them over budget. One of them was a well-known acid freak from Contro, Arizona, about five miles outside of Snowflake. His name is Dallas. My uncle arrested Dallas on drug charges. He was on bail when he was hired to work with Mike Rogers. The day that Travis Walton was abducted is the same day the Air Force was doing training in the White Mountains. Yes, Travis got out of the truck and looked up in the sky at weird lights, that were above him, and yes, a spotlight came all around him, and Mike Rogers drove off and left him at the spotlight. As the spotlight came on the truck, which scared all the men in the truck, the spotlight was only let me see, was only on them for a second. Mike drove to the diner, which was twelve miles down the road, called the Red Robin Diner. Mike was the only person who went back to pick up Travis from the spot. Where he had, where he found Travis, who had passed out from drinking after they got done with work that day. He had consumed quite a bit. 
They were going to lose all their contracts in a couple of days, which was going to bankrupt Travis and Mike's business. The guys who had stayed at the diner told all the patrons they saw weird lights and it chased them and uh, that Travis got out and what happened. All the guys had friends that came to pick. Wait, all the guys had friends come pick them up at the diner except one, Dallas. Dallas started to hitchhike down the road and was picked up by Mike Rogers. Dallas uh, had told Mike that guys at the. Uh, let me see, I keep scrolling down and losing this. That the guys were saying at the inn that the patrons were asking about all the lights around the truck and around Travis. They told the patrons that they were being attacked by UFOs and that Travis was at, or Travis Walton was actually at Dallas's house in Concho, Arizona, for the five days, getting high off his ass. So, uh, I mean, this story goes on forever. I'm gonna post it in wow. both. Uh, I'm gonna post it in both chat rooms, so you guys can uh, check it out. But uh, yeah, it, it goes on probably three times longer than what I've read already. So. Oh my! Now has you, Travis uh, come out and talked publicly about this? Uh, no, about this, this report. This just this just hit the airways. Uh, you know, oh, like man. yesterday. Yesterday it just came out. So, well, you know, that's a, now that's another uh, question for Stanton tonight. Uh, what are his thoughts on the Travis Walton case? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure be- he's he's uh, met Travis several times and has run into him and spoken to the man. So. That's another good question for uh, Stanton Friedman tonight. That's uh, that's you know what it, if you listen to the archive episode of of when Travis was on the show on Jackal's Head here, uh, he does say, which is very curious and peculiar, that he does say that he believes that what may have happened to him was that a government ship yeah. abducted him. Not so much aliens, well, but maybe some kind of U.S. undercover ops operations. You know training going on or something and he just walked into it kind of got knocked out and you know they took him and you know but he, he says that they very well could have been a, you know some government officials or some government well, uh ship in, and not so much in, an alien ship in the article it says that uh most people know travis and the people that were with him passed the lie detector test but questions that were asked were questions like, did you see strange lights around Travis? Did Travis get out of the truck and walk walk towards this strange light? Did you guys leave Travis there because you were scared? You know, they never asked questions like, you know, were you abducted and seen aliens? So that's why this guy says that the results were he was telling the truth. Now, he's the nephew of the sheriff that was in the town now you got to remember there was a huge investigation in the real story they say because they thought travis walton had been killed by the other guys so i don't know well here's the thing travis did go missing though that is reported he was missing for several days yep so that part of the case is true he did go missing you know why if this is the son of the sheriff or the nephew of the sheriff or whatever why didn't you know they come forward before when they, you know, supposedly knew that, you know, the whole thing was a hoax. Well, Why because waited so long. I guess because, you know, uh, they say that Travis, uh, at first they just went along with it because that's what the people at the bar told them. And then, you know, he made money off of it. They thought maybe they'd get tourism or something, but I don't know. Oh, but they did say that, that Travis that. was at 
Travis was at this guy's house for five days getting high off his ass. That's the truth. That's what they say. And in my new show today, I did say, like this stories and many others, I won't tell you what I believe. I'll just read it to you, give you the link, let you read it for yourself, and you can conclude what you think. You know, There's definitely something that happened to Travis. I, I, yeah. I believe that. But, uh, you know, 100%. Do I believe he's abducted? No, because I don't. I don't have the evidence. You know, he has yeah, a good well, story. It's 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 very well researched, and you know that's all you can go by. You have to leave it up to yourself whether you believe the pros overweigh the cons. Yeah, well, you know, I've always said that his story is one of those that I go into ufology thinking uh, that that it's just a, an actual case that really happened. Like I really believe. That he was abducted. I don't think it was, you know, maybe aliens. You know, I kind of uh, agree with him a little bit that it could have been some government experiment going on that he just walked in on by accident. You know, and just uh, bad place, bad time, and he just got caught up in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of what I believe happened to him. But at the same time, you know, his story has been so consistent over the years that if he was a drug addict, uh, I'm sure that his story would have changed several times. I mean, have oh, yeah. you ever known yeah. a drug addict to keep a straight story <laughs> for 30 years? No, but he does admit that he did do drugs back then. Um, he did admit that. Yeah, but, but it was the seventies. Who didn't do drugs? Back I know then? exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah. The, I'm, you not, can't I'm not trying to. That. I'm not trying to say that this is the truth. I'm just reading what I have, and I have. No, I got you. Uh, I got you. That, you know more... what? That is a mind. That is a mind blowing story, though. I'll tell you that because, yeah. like I said, I'm a huge fan of the Travis case, and I'm well, gonna have to talk to Travis because, as you know, yeah. I I am in communication with the man. I'm gonna Get ask him, him about. Bring him on. Bring him on the show. Yeah, if he wants to Go come on and over it. Um, Let's uh, debate this because I, uh, you yeah. know, I want to set the record straight on this. It's a very good story, Jamie. Thank you for bringing it on. Even, the show today. yeah, Thank even you. try to try to get the the sheriff's nephew to come on too with Travis. That would be a show. Um, that would be. I got. Yeah. I got one more piece of news, and this is kind of on a personal thing. But uh, last night, I welcomed Yap Van Etten to the show. He's a researcher from. Uh, com, and we talked about crystal skulls we talked about yep. vortexes in the Sedona area and all around the world we talked about metaphysical ecology a term in which he uh, a phrase in which he's termed and about his crystal skull named Sam and other crystal skulls it was a great show we just vibed off of each other uh, very good we went for two hours had him on for the first hour and a half and my silent co-host actually asked two questions last night. Oh, my. So, yeah. So if you guys missed that show, go to FloridaUFO.PlanetParanormal.com and you can see it right there. Oh, man. So Willie actually opened his mouth? Yes, he did. And, uh, oh, man. It, it was quite, uh, you know, see, quite what, what, surprising. What, uh, what UFO Willie does for you, which is what I'm trying to get my, uh, you know, my booth operator Pete Dickinson here to do, is to just be a silent partner in the booth, yeah. and he does that so beautifully. I haven't heard him actually ask any uh, questions in the past, so that's amazing. He actually asked a question. Well, See, I Pete, have... that's what you got to start doing, and just staying quiet, like Dave. But yeah. when you have something important to ask, then you ask it. Well, if you ever you hear that, my Pete? shows. If you ever hear my shows on Florida UFOs, uh, you know, my, my producer is actually behind a, a, a quarter inch thick plexiglass and we I'm not yep. I can't afford a mic to go back and forth. So she actually reads my lips. So sometimes in my shows, if you go to the archives, you'll hear me saying push number two. 
Yeah, but call. that's bullshit. You're not gonna let the person in the booth talk. But uh, uh, Pete, Betty, Pete, Pete, no, no cursing, please. No cursing yeah. on the show. Pete, slow down yeah, there, buddy. Gonna, yeah. I'm producing this yeah, show well, tonight. Yeah, I apologize, guys. I'm sorry. Did you take uh, your that, meds, good, Pete? Pete? All right. You know, Pete, he's he's a short fella. He's about five foot one. You know, he's uh, he tries. You know, he's a good guy. And that's five foot one. Yes, you are, Pete. You're five two, maybe tops, tops. But uh, I just wanted to uh, also say there's a lot more UFO news that I posted today. Uh, if you're the type of person that likes to keep up on UFO news, I post the latest stories uh, every day but Sunday at FloridaUFONews.blogspot.com. And that is one yeah. sweet-looking website, if I could say so myself. Yes, it is. I'm it proud is of myself. And let's talk a little bit before we uh, go on break here and get Stanton on the line. Uh, you, of course, have now Inception Radio. Yeah, yeah, we're kicking it off. Uh, tell the people it's, about it's, that a little bit before. Yeah, it, it's weird here. because a lot of people are going to think that uh, I am calling it that because of the movie. But what's weird is, you know, probably three or four months ago before anybody really heard about the movie besides those that produced it, maybe a few insiders. Uh, you know, I started Florida Me. UFOs to talk about our sky watching stuff. I didn't start it to think that I'd be doing the show for a year and doing interviews. I wanted to open up my, my guest base and be able to bring on any kind of guest I wanted or cover any kind of topics I wanted. So I actually posted some things on Yahoo Answers, give me some good names. I wanted something that actually meant something, like veritas means truth in Latin, and nobody could come up with anything. So I was thinking of different words. I thought of inception. I knew it was a word. I searched it. It means the commencement of something new or grand, a commencement of a big event. So I went with it, and uh, I've had it on the back burner now for a while. And then about a month ago, I see this movie trailer, Inception, the movie coming. You know, I was like, oh, boy. And you're Everybody's like, oh, like, crap. <laughs> yep, and people are going to say, well, you know, you know, he's biting off the movie. It's been in production for three years. He must have heard about it somewhere. But honest to God, I didn't. And, you know, I'm sticking to it. It's going to be Inception. It's going to be buried because all the links are going to be Inception, the movie. But we'll get it there. <laughs> and, and basically what I'm going to do is... Uh, until August 13th, we're going to be Florida UFOs, and then August 13th, we're kicking it off with a huge show. We're having Nigel Kerner on, who wrote the book, Very Gray, nice. Grays and the Harvesting of Souls, and we're having two other PhD researchers on. We're going to be talking about his book and the Shroud of Torin. It's going to be a big show, our kickoff show, maybe the biggest show I've ever done on Inception Radio. Florida UFO Radio will continue to live on as my news show every day at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Paranormal Soup Network. Yep. So it's not going away, folks. I know you have a big fan base of Florida UFOs, so don't get scared. Don't get worried. Don't start crying and emo cutting. He's not going anywhere. It's still no. going to be every day at 4 p.m. on the Paranormal Soup Network. Guys, we're going to take a little break here. Stick around. We got Stanton Friedman. The man himself, Stan the Man, is going to be on the show here in about six minutes with us on the Jackal's Head, only on Tenacity Radio and the Paranormal Soup Network. So stick around, guys. We're going to be right back in about, uh, what do you say, five, six minutes around there? 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. A new dimension one secret question you can't ask. If they know the answer to this question, then they're definitely aliens. They have to tell you in detail what these ingredients are for the secret sauce in the gordita crunch yeah. at Taco Bell. Yeah. Only the aliens and the folks at Taco Bell know the secret ingredients for the secret sauce on the gordita crunch. The Jackal! So there is a way to test if these are real aliens. Next time it happens, ask them to give you something to prove that they know something that's not out yet. Like Stan Romanek, they gave him uh, mathematical equations and elements that weren't discovered for a couple of years. Ask them to tell you something that's going to be developed next year. And... Uh, if it comes true, then they really are aliens. If not, then you're probably having sleep paralysis. If you wake up and you're in bed, then and, and you're probably sleep paralysis. Jamie Havican, and now we're coming for all of you. Rest in peace, young nigga, as they having 4G Be a lie if I told you that I never thought of that My nigga, we the last ones left But life goes on How many brothers fell victim to the streets Rest in peace, young nigga, as they having 4G Be a lie if I told you that I never thought of that My nigga, we the last ones left Life goes on Life through the empty halls Breath sticking in my drawers Ring, ring, ring Quiet y'all, here coming calls Plus it's my homie from high school He getting by It's time to bury another brother Nobody cry Life is a baller Alcohol and booty calls We used to do them as adolescents Do you recall? Raise the G's Loafed out and blaze the weed Get on the roof, let's get smoked out And blaze with me Two in the morning and we still high assed out Screaming thug till I die before I pass out But now that you're gone, I'm in the zone Thinking I don't wanna die all alone But now you're gone And all I got left is thinking memories I love them niggas to death I'm drinking Hennessy While trying to make it last I drank a fifth for that ass when you pass Cause life goes on How many brothers fell victim to the streets Rest in peace, young nigga There's a heaven for a cheat Nigga, be the last one left And life goes on 
Yeah, nigga, I got the word as hell. You blue trial and the judge gave you 25 with an L. Time to prepare to do fair time, won't you parole? Imagine life as a convict, that's getting old. Plus with the drama, with looking out for your baby's mama. Taking risks while keeping cheap chicks from getting on her. Life in the hood is all good for nobody. Remember gaming on dumb hotties at show party. Me and you know true or two. While scheming on hits and getting tricks that maybe we can slide into. But now you worry. Rest nigga, cause I ain't worried. Eyes blurry, saying goodbye at the cemetery. Though memories fade, I got your name tatted on my arm. So we both wrong to my dying days before I say goodbye. Caden went mental, rest in peace. Thought till I die. How many brothers fell victim to the streets? Rest in peace, young nigga. As a heaven for a cheat, I'd be alive if I told you that I never thought of death. My nigga, we the last ones left. And life goes on. How many brothers fell victim to the streets? Rest in peace, young nigga. As a heaven for a cheat. With G's in my pocket, have a party at my funeral Let every rapper rock it, let the hoes that I used to know From way before, kiss me from my head to my toe Give me a paper a pen so I can write about my life of sin A couple of bottles of gin in case I don't get in Tell all my people I'm a rider Nobody cries when we die We outlaws, let me ride Until I get free I live my life in the fast lane Got police chasing me to my niggas from old blocks, from old crews Niggas, they got me through Back in the old school Pour out some liquor, have a toast for the homies See, we both gotta die But you chose to go before me And brothers miss you while you gone You left your nigga on his own How long we moan? Life goes on How many brothers fell victim to the streets? Life Rest in peace, on, young on. nigga Has there ever for a Be alive if I told you that I never thought of death Welcome back, everybody, to the Jackal's Head. Here with you is myself, of course, you know, the one and only Jackal, the infamous Jackal. And with me tonight, like I said earlier, we have none other than nuclear physicist, lecturer, and living legend, Mr. Stanton Friedman, who received his uh, BS on, uh, actually his degrees as a physicist in the University of Chicago in 1955 and 1956. He was employed for 14 years as a nuclear physicist by such companies as GE, GM, Westinghouse, TRW Systems, Aerojet General uh, Nucleotics, uh, McDonnell Douglas, you know, working in such highly advanced classified uh, areas eventually 
canceled programs as nuclear aircraft fusion and fusion rockets and various compact nuclear power plants. Uh, but for the last few decades, he's been writing about UFOs, especially the Roswell case, which he's become legendary in his information and the books he's written. He has written five books with the latest one recently out with Miss Kathleen Martin, which was called Science was wrong. And I want to welcome now a living legend, really, Mr. Stan Friedman. Welcome to the show, Jackal's Head, sir. Glad to be here again. It's an honor to have you back on the show. I mean, we had you here a few months ago, and let me tell you something, Stan, before we, we continue here tonight, uh, I just wanted to say this. Uh, you are, sir, without a doubt, my favorite guest to have on, and I've only had you once before, but to have you on and you know to listen to you talk in other shows, and I'm going to give you the reason why now. You could have as many crazy conspiracy people that you want on your show, you know, to get big ratings or get a lot of people to follow your show, and you could promote the heck out of their agendas, and it could be the Guardians of the Federation of Light, the Key Masters, Gatekeepers, Billy Myers, Michael Horn, whoever you want to get that is going to give you big ratings. But to be honest with you, when I speak to you, sir, I think I'm always getting something that I don't get with any other of these folks, and that's credibility. And that is something that, I, you know, you're also an excellent judge of character because I've heard you talk about not only the debunkers, but also about the people that you consider to be frauds. And I appreciate the fact that you have an open mind, but at the same time, like me, you like to go for the facts. And, you know, in case nobody's ever said it before, Stanton, I wanted to say to you, thank you for everything you've brought to ufology in your, in your time with us and for this book that you just, you know, laid on here on us, which is an amazing book, Science Was Wrong. Thank you so much for, for everything you've done, sir. I really wanted to say that off the bat here. You're very welcome. I hope I can keep doing it. <laughs> I think you, you're going to outlive a lot of us, believe me. And let me ask you, you know, this book, this is the second book you write with Kathleen, you know, Martin, and she is a fascinating lady. And I tell you, I've, re I've read the last book, Captured, and now I'm reading this book. Um, you two make an amazing duo when it comes to writing about the UFOs and about uh, science in general or anything that has to do with UFOs. Uh, how well is it to work with her? And how, you know, how did you uh, two start working together? Well, we've known each other for many years. She's Betty Hill's niece. And uh, mm -hmm. I met Betty and Barney Hill way back in 1968. Um, and she was active with MUFON, too. For 10 years, she was in charge. That's the Mutual UFO Network. She was in charge of certifying investigators, doing their tests and so forth. We'd see each other at uh, symposium, uh, symposia. We were just at the one in Denver, as a matter of fact, last week. Uh, and so over the years, we've had a chance to talk a lot. And then uh, <laughs> we started working together on Captured because some crazy outfit in England, Montour, um, mm -hmm. called me and wondered if I knew anybody who uh, was still alive connected with the Betty and Barney Hill case. I said, I do. Let me check with them to see if it's okay to uh, pass on uh, her name to you. And I did, and it was, and I did. And so they brought me into New Hampshire. They brought her into... She lived in New Hampshire at that time. Now she doesn't. She's gone south. A uh, long <laughs> way from me. Um Anyway, um, we did the show. We were interviewed by them, and it was broadcast only in Canada for some strange reason. An English outfit doing something for the Discovery Channel in Canada, not in the U.S., which is a good thing as it happens, because they didn't seem to be interested in evidence particularly. And uh, when I read the paper, 
I had sex with an alien, Stanton Friedman, it said in the listing. <laughs> and I hit the ceiling. Uh, Kathy didn't see that show because it wasn't broadcast in the U.S., but th- this was the craziest darn thing you ever saw. They had a woman who claimed she had ten alien lovers and a guy who oh, said, wow. oh, he's got alien <laughs> females all over the place. And, of course, Betty and Barney didn't have sex with aliens. I have never met an alien, <laughs> sexual or not. Uh, and so we talked at some length about this and decided maybe uh, maybe we ought to do this story right. And I visited Kathy. Uh, it was 400 miles then and looked at all the material she had. She'd been working on a, a serious study of the case for many years. And I was very impressed, and she asked if I wanted to be part of it, and I said yes. I was the first to publish about the star map work that's in the book, and right. I'm also the heavy in dealing with the nasty, noisy negativists, <laughs> since uh, I, I don't mind. I don't have to worry about what my boss says. I'm my own boss, so I can be rather blunt about the uh, debunkers and so forth. Yes, and then we talked about. Uh, after that, we had some other thoughts. Kept running into these situations where some smart guy would say something stupid, saying something was impossible. The original title of the new book, uh, the publisher had the right to change the title. It was originally, It's Impossible, Isn't It? But it got changed to Science <laughs> Was Wrong. <laughs> hey, you don't win these battles. They have the right. No, you don't. You can't win them the all. Contract. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and I think, uh, frankly... Uh, our publisher was also publishing Eric von Daniken's latest book, uh, the American version of History is Wrong. So I think they changed the title to sort of have a franchise, if you will, about wrongness. <laughs> <laughs> but we, uh, so we each wrote seven chapters and we'd see each other, you know, not very often, uh, conferences mainly to go over stuff and you know thank god for the internet as you said uh, so we're thinking that now we're promoting but we're we're thinking about a possible uh, other book uh you know maybe it's more wrong science i don't know <laughs> we never we didn't run <laughs> out of we didn't run out of stupid things being said by smart people. Uh, those are going yes. on all the time, as I'm sure you're aware. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> so you know, it's, but, it's, but it's, it's fu- go on. <clears throat> no, no, go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that uh, you know, there's no shortage of such things. There's arrogance and egotism all over the place, and. You know, you read back old comments that uh, people said, as as we do in the in the book. Uh, you know, space travel is utter bilge, says the British yeah. astronomer Royal, and, and stuff like that. And you know, it's easy to laugh at these things, but th- this nasty, noisy negativism has consequences. A lot of people died because doctors wouldn't try new treatments or kept uh, new stuff from being used and. There were delays. You know, it's like the attitude toward the jet engine in England. The English guy, Frank Whittle, had a patent in 1930. But nobody paid him any attention. And yeah. uh, because obviously jet engines would be too heavy. They're gas turbines and they're heavy. Uh, yeah. Well, the Germans, uh, they came up with one in the uh, patent in 1936. But they built the first aircraft powered by jet engines. And 
What if England had had jet-powered aircraft to defend it during the uh, mm. Second World War? How much sooner would the war have ended? You know. Oh yeah. So yeah. Th- these things are, are have consequences, and so it's important today, uh, any time, that we all recognize that. Be very wary of the expert who is speaking out about stuff which mm-hmm. is about which he knows nothing, but thinks that because he has that piled higher and deeper degree, he can uh, <laughs> speak out about, you know. And I, I don't have much tolerance for these guys, to tell you the truth. And uh, it, it's kind of funny. People think I must get a hard time when I lecture. My usual lectures, flying saucers, are real. Or lately, science, uh, flying saucers and science. I have a, my 19, uh, 2008 book, rather, is Flying Saucers and Science. And I come on very strong, but the fact of the matter is I've only had 11 hecklers in over 700 lectures. And two of them were drunk. So uh, <laughs> people are quite ready to listen to facts and data and solid information and are encouraged by the fact that I am willing to stand up and be counted, you know, tell it like it is. And uh, it's been very, I'm not a masochist is what I'm saying. Nobody throws things at me, uh, eggs or tomatoes or anything else, not even money. (laughs) That's that's the thing we love about you, Stan, you know, the fact that, you know, you're straight up, you're honest about what you believe to be a fact. Uh, You know, you don't don't cookie cut, you know, the answer. And, you know, in fact, I've heard you talk about the Billy Meyer case and of of other cases in ufology, and you're on point with what you're saying, even... uh, you know, cases like the Bill Cooper case. Uh, last time we talked, you, know, you gave me your opinion on Bill Cooper. And, you know, the fact that you just said it bluntly like that and you said what is factual about the man. You didn't, you know, you didn't attack him as, you know, some people would attack. Uh, you just, you were factual about who he was and, you know, this is the person who he was. But, you know, that's the great thing about you. And, you know, I've recently read some reviews, uh, especially one by John Harney on the on the new book. And he, oh, yeah. he talks about how, how you launched your familiar attacks on the debunkers in the book. But, you know, let's speak on that for a minute here because of the simple fact, like I said, you don't only attack the debunkers, but you, you also do attack the folks who are, you know, frauds. Well, that's right. I call them as I see them. Yeah. uh, I intentionally posted a a link to his review (laughs) on UFO updates and with Kathleen and on my website, www.stantonfriedman.com, with Kathy and I responding to it because he really gave a totally deceptive picture about what we said in the book. And, exactly. you know, you got something to argue about, fine, put the facts on the table, but don't avoid giving the facts or the basis for your view. I mean, uh, John and the Magonia uh, gang uh, from England have been anti-UFO for years. And, you know, a, a typical example of that is funny, really. There was a review of my Flying Saucers in Science, uh, Peter Brooksmith, and I've met Peter. I won a debate against him, me and a, a lawyer in England at the Oxford University Debating Society, mind you. And to his credit, a month after the debate, he ordered copies of the uh, scientific literature, which I had referenced. A little late, you might say. <laughs> but anyway, in his review of Flying Saucers and Science, he says, uh, Friedman neglects the fact that as you get close to the speed of light, uh, the crew wouldn't barely be able to lift their arms. They'd be so heavy. 
he doesn't understand the physics here. Yes, you get close to the At all. speed yeah. of light. From an outsider's viewpoint, uh, the mass increases and time slows down, but not as far as the people are concerned. You know, you'd think he would have asked somebody to look at it who knew something about physics. But, and so that's typical, the English uh, gang against UFOs, if you will. And they made it sound as if uh, the paranormal stuff that Kathy talked about uh, you know, were opinions and feelings and stuff like that. And she cited chapter and verse of published literature, to which she does not respond at all. So, you know, if you're going to criticize us, do it on the basis of facts and data, darn it. Exactly. And if you're not going yeah. to dig out the facts and data, why say anything? Just because you can? I mean, yeah, freedom of speech, isn't it great? But it <laughs> seems to me that people have an obligation if they're pretending to be objective careful unbiased to do their homework check on the facts and the data and that, that's what bothers me uh, you know it's the scientists coming out uh, and I think more of us need to be scientific about these things mm -hmm. not just flail away as if everybody's viewpoints isn't significant as anybody else's because there is no absolute truth. Well, there are a lot of absolute truths. Two and two are four, darn it. Yes. Not three and a half, <laughs> not 5.2, you know. Some and facts so, are facts, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that's the thing. Uh, you know, I, I can say that chocolate tastes better than vanilla, and you recognize that that's an opinion, not right. based on fact, or, you know, Marilyn Monroe is prettier than Betty Grable or something like that. Uh, I don't know if she was or not, but uh, <laughs> what, what, there is a difference between facts and opinions, and especially if the opinions aren't based on facts. You might as well do, I like to call it dartboard physics for some of the stuff that uh, the academics say about, especially about star travel, which they really get screwed up. Uh, it, it amazes me. I mean, you know, there's certain data that's pretty straightforward, and yet I consistently find that uh, in f college physics classes or seminars, I, I often get asked to speak uh, before my evening lecture on a campus, and I find out from the students sometimes that, hey, the professor's claims he's going to make you look like an idiot, you know, so I make sure that I say things that I know they don't know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> Sneaky. But then I do something a little trickier. Uh, I ask, what's the numerical value of 1G? Because they don't like the idea that, you know, you can get here from someplace else and it would take too long and all, uh, you know and you can't stand a lot of Gs, so they'll immediately all say, all the students and their props, 9.8 meters per second squared, which to most people means absolutely nothing, because there's nothing else we measure in units like that. So I then say, uh, yeah, okay, uh, how do you relate that to a Corvette? And they look at me like I'm speaking Swahili or something. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, there's a real world. Uh, how much acceleration? Yes. A Corvette, it's a hot car, more or less. Uh, probably not the hottest around. But uh, anyway, and I say it's 21 miles per hour per second. And for listeners who like cars, that means if you pull 1G in three seconds, you're going uh, 63 miles an hour. And that's a pretty hot car. 
Uh, you know, most cars take five or six seconds to get to uh, 63 miles an hour. And then I ask them, what's uh, the speed of light? And they all immediately say 300,000 kilometers per second. I say, okay, put that in units that mean something to most people. They look at me. I said, well, try 670 million miles an hour. And that covers distances in the solar system. So it's a meaningful kind of thing. But then the key question. So how long does it take at 1G to get to the speed of light? And it's a multiple choice question, I'll tell them. You can put away your pencils. Is it a thousand years, a hundred years, ten years, or one? And you'd be amazed at how many people think it's a thousand or a hundred or ten when it's one. Uh, and that makes a big difference if you think it takes a thousand years to get someplace at one G, uh, to the close to the speed of light. Uh, it's going to take you a long time to get anywhere out there. But if it's only one, then it's not so bad, <laughs> yeah. is it? You know. So I try to make sure that we deal in the real world. And this has come up. Uh, I just gave a paper last week at the Mutual UFO Network Symposium. Stephen Hawking, SETI, and science. Uh, pointing out that uh, this year the press has been sort of nice to people talking about aliens as long as they have the Ph.D. degree. And there are people like Stephen Hawking and uh, astrophysicists, even though they don't know what they're talking about. Uh but you don't hear anybody talking about, okay, so how many stars are there around us? Uh, Frank Drake, the father of SETI, if you, grandfather of SETI, he's even older than I am. Uh, Frank is saying, and he said this at a fancy conference in England, that uh, there ought to be 10,000 civilizations in our galaxy hmm. capable of sending signals to us. That sounds like a big number. Then you realize, really wait enough. a minute, no, that means one yeah. in ten million. There's over 100 billion stars in our galaxy. Mm-hmm. So if there's only 10,000 able to send signals, uh, now why in the world they would send signals using technology appropriate to us primitives, I have no mm-hmm. idea. You know, but one in ten million means within a thousand light years there might be two, us and somebody else. That's mm-hmm. very rare indeed. Uh, and I look and I try to tell people, do you realize how many stars there are within, say, 55 light years of here? There's almost 2,000. That's a lot. Hmm. And you say 100 light years, you know, then it's eight times as many because it goes the cube of the distance. So when you say, uh, and several of the astrophysicists have said, uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, if aliens had been coming here, uh, we we would know about it because they would have sent a signal first. And I sit back and say, why? Columbus did not send smoke signals to the Indians, as far as I know, anyway. You know, Stephen said something about uh, we shouldn't let aliens know we're here, neglecting the fact that the aliens have been coming here for a long time, uh, because we might, look what happened to the natives when Columbus came. And, uh, you know, think about that for a while. The natives... Uh, didn't have weapons of mass destruction. They didn't have intercontinental mm-hmm. ballistic missiles. They didn't have all kinds of means for detecting intruders, you know, radar and spy satellites and stuff like that. Uh, and Columbus wasn't such a big shot either, so he had iron weapons and big sailing ship. Uh, that doesn't <laughs> yep. compare to the aliens, you know. And so 
Uh, but the notion that if they were coming here, they would have sent us signals. I keep saying, why? They're here for their purposes, not ours. And why would anybody think our technology is the ultimate? Whereas, because anybody else in the neighborhood, you know, we've had radio for a little, I hate to say this on radio, I guess, but (laughs) for 110 years or so, you know, that's not a big fraction of the time that That's there not. has been life in the neighborhood. I mean, unless you think that the world was created in 4004 B.C., as Bishop yeah. Usher said, <laughs> you know, I, I think it was October 23rd of 4004 B.C. at 6 o'clock in the evening. You know, if you say hey, that should have been 4 billion 4 B.C., you know, that changes the picture considerably. So yeah. what I'm saying is that Yes, it's nice to have the media talk about aliens without ha-ha. But, you know, there's Larry King. Now, I like Larry. I've been on his show a total of four times. I guess I won't be on again because he's sort of (laughs) semi-retiring. But but he had a big show with Seth Shostak, King of the SETI Mm -hmm. people. And my uh, Stephen Hawking was on, and uh, Dr. Brin, I think his name was, another astronomer. Yep. And, and who was the man for uh, the scientific side? It was Dan Aykroyd. Now, I like Dan, <laughs> and he knows a lot about UFOs, and he gave the book Captured a nice plug on there. Yes. But why didn't he have a scientist on there? Like me. You know, I'd have been happy to take on these guys. Uh, <laughs> no, they got an actor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like sense. I say, I've met Dan. I've had dinner with him. Great I guy, like yeah. him. You know, and he's sharp, and he's a yeah. MUFON benefactor and things like that. Uh, but that doesn't show a lot of respect for the subject, uh, as far as I can see. And, you know, it's interesting to list the basic assumptions by the SETI cultists, I call them. Uh, They assume there's aliens out there. Okay, I'm not going to argue with that. I have evidence Mm -hmm. because they're coming here. But they assume they're sending signals here using techniques appropriate to our technology. I can't find the slightest basis for that. They assume that if they were coming here, they would talk to the SETI guys. Why? Do these guys speak for planet Earth? Not the last time I checked. You know? And not only that, who's, who's to say that the signal that the other beings are communicating with is anything like the ones we're using? They're well, aliens. Um, yeah, <laughs> it almost certainly is not. I mean, I got a, a come up, and so I, I was speaking at the University of Detroit, and uh, in the afternoon, I, there were a couple of classes there, and, and I was talking about how much our technology has changed in my lifespan. I mean, I was born in 1934 in the middle of the Depression, and, you know, look where we are now. And I said something to the effect that, you know, when I started working in industry, I was using a slide rule. And I looked around the class, didn't see any reaction. Any of you know what a slide rule is? Not one! <laughs> Made me feel ancient. But it gives you an idea how fast things change. Yep. You know, if I had talked about uh, a computer, and I don't have a great one, but the new ones, you can get, what, terabyte hard disk, hard drives? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's extraordinary. 
Stan, can you imagine Albert Einstein if he was alive today? If he was like somehow teleported into you know today from yeah. you know back then, and he was just uh, woke up in the year 2010, how amazed he would be with the technology the way it is today. And imagine a mind like his, what we could do with a mind like that with the technology and the way it's moving. It's really amazing oh, yeah. how rapid technology is moving. We're going to quad PCs and and eight processors, and soon the quantum computers are going to come into play. I mean, it is amazing the technologies that. Are, are advancing so fast in the computer world, but let me ask you, do you really believe that some of this technology is from, you know, the Roswell crash or from other alien, I, you know, crashes? I have no particular reason to believe that, other than they may okay. have inspired some people here to mm. think uh, think differently. Uh, my mantra is that technological progress comes from doing things differently right. in a <clears throat> in an unpredictable way, and <clears throat> Another thought that's come up recently and that bears on this question, one of those English guys again was saying that, look, if Roswell had happened, half the scientists at universities would have had to be rushed out of the universities to work on Roswell. And yeah. I protested very loudly. I said, look, you don't seem to understand that in the United States, where we weren't being bombed or attacked, unlike in England and Russia and so forth, that we spent an enormous amount of money setting up really incredibly sharp, good labs. I visited many of them, uh, primarily for the uh, Manhattan Project to develop nuclear weapons. But we're talking about major facilities. This wasn't done at universities. There are some good researchers at universities. I'm not saying there aren't. But <clears throat> the great majority was done in national labs or in industrial labs, like GE and Bell Labs. Both had really world-class facilities during World War II. And uh, a few years ago, I checked. And the three nuclear weapons labs, uh, Lawrence Livermore, uh, Los Alamos National Lab and Sandia Corporation, each employed 8,000-plus people, and each had an annual budget over a billion dollars. The three together, total budget was greater than that of the National Science Foundation for all its research projects. And people don't seem to understand that. They think you've got to go to a university to find some... The finest labs, the finest instrumentation. I've been to Los Alamos. I've been to Lawrence Livermore and Sandia and to Oak Ridge and Hanford. Uh, and there's a whole bunch more. But, I mean, if you want a stealth fighter, you don't call up your local university and say, hey, can a few right. of your guys help me on this? You go to Lockheed and you spend $10 billion. And remember, the motto of the uh, academic is publish or perish. When you're working on classified projects, you better not publish. You know, your satisfaction comes from a job well done, not from theoretical paper pushing. And so there's this crazy notion that uh, Roswell couldn't have happened because there wasn't this enormous migration. That's balderdash. Uh, when I, the same notion came up when I was interviewed for the Peter... Jennings' mockumentary that was broadcast February 24th, 2005. We finished the program, uh, the interview. I mean, I was lucky. 20, cents, uh, 20 seconds of my 
hour-long interview made it on the air. There were 100 people who got interviewed, including Dr. John <laughs> Mack and others, none of which made it on the air. Wow. Uh, but when we finished the interview, the guy says, Stan, don't you think if these things were real that half the uh, academic scientists would be working on UFO stuff? It was kind of a shocking question because he'd been pretty reasonable up to then. And I said, no, those who can do, those who can't teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you go to Lockheed or Boeing or General Electric or people like that. You don't go to universities for this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not saying that no university profits contributed anything, you know, to research and development on classified right. activities. Of course, MIT did loads of work during the war, for example, on electronics. Mm-hmm. Well, you Bell- worked at, uh, at GE yourself. I mean, you, you worked at yeah. GE back in the day. And, I mean, you would say if there was any alien technology they were working on. No, I would sure. say <laughs> have no reason to think there was. Well, remember, we had a major yeah. effort. We had we spent a hundred million dollars in nineteen fifty eight. Yep. That's a lot of money in fifty eight dollars. And we employed thirty five hundred people, of whom eleven hundred were engineers and scientists. Mm-hmm. This wasn't eight professors and twenty two grad students. We're talking about this massive effort. And uh, people seem to be blissfully ignorant of where the work gets done. So what I'm trying to say, one reason for the rapid change in our technology is that we've spent a tremendous amount of money equipping very Mm -hmm. fine labs. And, you know, when it comes to Roswell, you didn't have to go far. Los Alamos is within the state. And I've been there, and boy, do they have good labs, good equipment, good people. And the rule, incidentally, would be, and I say this from my own work on classified programs, is something like Roswell happens. Okay, you want a quick answer as to what the heck is going on here? Are these guys going to invade us? You know, what's, what's happening? You need to go to <laughs> yeah. people who are extremely talented, very bright, who have an existing high-level security clearance, who have fine laboratories with really good equipment and who would be ready to give you an answer, you know, as soon as possible. You get it to them. You don't say, I'll come back to you in six months and get your clearance in or anything <laughs> like that, you know. So yeah. those are the requirements, and you didn't have to go far. Uh, these people uh, were all uh, involved, you might say, in the Manhattan Project. And it's... It's kind of incredible. Uh, I'll give another example. The NRO, National Reconnaissance Office, announced about three years ago that they had canceled a program with Boeing developing new satellite architecture, how you arrange your components. And some of their satellites can run half a billion dollars. That's a lot of money for a piece of hardware up there, you know. (laughs) They admitted that they they were canceling this program. They'd only spent four billion dollars and didn't get what they wanted. Fourteen billion dollars represents a massive effort. Forget about aliens, you know. Uh, So I want to correct that crazy impression. I am not saying, even though I'm the first, the original civilian investigator of the Roswell incident, that we've learned all kinds of new technology. We may have some, but 
don't give the aliens credit for work that's been done by good, hard-working guys, not at universities, who mm-hmm. work on classified programs. It, it, there's no secret to that. The work is yeah, secret. You know, it- <laughs> It's amazing. You know, some people don't want to give credit uh, to human beings. We're a very creative bunch of people. I mean, we create amazing new things. Our, you know, our minds are always constantly creating. And, you know, you always have those individuals that come throughout history who create amazing technologies. Uh, in, in fact, I don't believe me, I have no reservations whatsoever believing that a lot of the UFOs that are cited by folks are none other than, you know, top secret crafts that we've been, you know, working on for years that have nothing to do with aliens. And in fact, Michael uh, Sherratt, uh, you know, has gone on, on several uh, different shows talking about some of the top secret government aircrafts uh, that, you know, he's, you know, witnessed and he's worked on. And it's it's amazing the amount of stuff that the government does have that they are not telling anybody about, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're alien crafts. Do you think right. Stan, do you think that a lot of the reported UFO sightings could be just that, reported sightings of some top secret craft that we'll see in 30 years? I don't think a lot of them. I think some. Now the CIA would some, have yeah. you believe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Their historian wrote an article Oh, the government was so happy when people claimed to be seeing UFOs when really it was the U-2 and the SR-71 and stuff. You know, I have yet to find somebody who thinks that a U-2 or an SR-71 could make a right-angle turn, could hover, could fly silently, could land out in the middle of nowhere and take off from there from a space not much bigger than itself. That was propaganda, CIA propaganda. And now they're trying to, there are people saying, oh, it's all mythical, this UFO stuff. It, well, uh, maybe it was German, you know. And that's, you know, that's a, a good, that's a good point you just made, because that's actually something that I've been hearing a lot about, that the Roswell crash could have been a German saucer, you know, because the Germans apparently had UFOs. Well, let's get that straight. The Germans had made drawings talked about the possibility of building round vehicles that would be able to go up, down, back, forth. Ideal shape, obviously, no front, no back, you know. You try right. backing up an airplane with engines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doesn't work, Doesn't work we're talking about. <laughs> but uh, I, I've looked at the German. I did a review of uh, Joseph Farrell's book about the Reich and Roswell. And I was not impressed. Yes, when I worked in industry, we our artists were as good as anybody else's. And they drew up slick-looking stuff, whether it was nuclear-powered airplanes and other things that I worked on. That doesn't mean we built them. Did the Germans right. actually build any of these things? If they had, why didn't they use them during the war? Mm-hmm. And if they didn't, you know, they went off to Argentina, supposedly. And this whole industry... <clears throat> You know, suddenly blossomed, building sophisticated aircraft takes metal, it takes people, it does it takes all kinds of technology. And uh, I've seen no signs of that. Uh, when you build a sophisticated aircraft, the um, oh, the stealth fighter was uh, or was one. We used it in war. Plenty of wars around, you know. Oh yeah, no shortage. <coughs> And, you know, one of the reasons we dropped the atom bomb was to justify having spent all the money to develop it. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's a question for you, though, and uh, 
you know, this actually might be a little bit logical. Uh, maybe the Germans didn't, you know, create the UFOs. Maybe they only had, like you said, just some drawings or some models. But remember, when the Second World War ended in '45, we did inherit by uh, oh, pure yeah. luck some of the brightest minds that Germany had working for their science uh, team. So I mean, you know, Werner and Braun and a lot of these scientists they came over. Oh yeah. Uh, who's not to say that they didn't? When once they got here, they didn't create a UFO or you know a, a flying saucer or something well, of some sort. They were more concerned with rockets. Von Braun, he wanted to get to the moon. Let's face it. Yes, and, did he did. Uh, you remember that we had our rocket project, and boy, did it <laughs> collapse on the pad. <laughs> and so oh, then yeah. they gave. Well, you know, the politics of all this was very, uh, very important. When the Russians put up Sputnik, and we hadn't yet, we looked terrible. They put up the first satellite, then they put up the first animal, then they put the first rocket around the moon. Americans may forget all these things, but they're true. Yep. So we were getting clobbered politically all over the world. Uh, and so the decision to go to the moon by Kennedy was a political decision. You know, we got to get a man to the moon and back safely by the end of the decade. This is in like '61, um, and we did. But it was a political thing because the Russians were beating our tail everywhere you looked when it came to space. Their the the old argument was that their Germans are better than our Germans <laughs> because they grabbed a bunch <laughs> of German stuff too. The Germans actually, if when they had a chance, they preferred to come to the United States. Figuring oh, life would be a heck of a lot easier than it was yeah. in Russia. <laughs> you know, Russia lost 20 million people during World War II. We tend to forget that. Uh, but 20 million is a lot of people. Uh, you know, how did they hold out in uh, Leningrad for, uh, what, almost two years? Lost over a million people. Uh, we should be grateful, frankly, because... Mm -hmm. It kept Hitler from having his troops ready to clobber us when we landed at Normandy. But um, So uh, there's no doubt that we picked up under paperclip uh, and violated some rules. There were rules that nobody could be brought over who was a Nazi, and uh, it's turned out that <laughs> that was not adhered to. There were plenty who were Nazis <laughs> that, using slave labor and so forth. But... Uh, these were smart guys, and now they had the full power of the state behind them, and I won't say unlimited, but big budgets. Anyway, the you know, Apollo program cost $20 billion. You know, Manhattan Project only $2 billion. Of course, a dollar it appreciated in between. But still, we're talking massive effort uh, without Roswell in there. And yes, Von Braun was working at White Sands along with his crew, not far from Roswell. And uh, there's no question about that. Um, so it's easy to try to link the two. And it would surprise me not at all if the powers that be, the MJ-12 group, uh, and I think at least four MJ-12 documents are legitimate, just well over 100 that aren't. <laughs> it's the ones that are that matter. I wouldn't surprise me at all if Von Braun might not have been asked his opinion I mean, you got the world's finest rocket scientist, and they're—you've <laughs> got them under your thumb. They, they wanted, and, to it's, and it's amazing that that the Roswell crash happened exactly two years after the war ended. Though I mean, that in itself is an amazing coincidence. Well, yeah, uh, 
I don't know that it's a coincidence. I, I go through the following scenario. I say I make one assumption about every advanced civilization. It's concerned about its own survival and security. Everybody we know is. That doesn't mean you're always good at it, but uh, that's a major concern. So that being the case, you have to keep tabs on the primitives in the neighborhood. But only close tabs on the primitives will show signs of being able to bother you. At the end of World War II, it was perfectly clear to any visiting aliens that soon these idiot earthlings who had just killed 50 million of their own kind in World War II and destroyed 1,700 cities, it was perfectly obvious that within 100 years they'd be able to take their brand of friendship, everybody else calls it hostility, out there. Three signs. Uh, One, rockets at White Sands Missile Range. Two, nuclear weapons. First one was exploded at Trinity Site at White Sands Missile Range. Three was radar, the beginning of the electronics age, if you will. People may not realize that there was no radar before World War II. Uh, And you, you needed your best radar at White Sands to track the missiles, which sometimes went south instead of north, which is very embarrassing. (laughs) <laughs> fortunately, there were no warheads. <laughs> uh, you know, fortunately, there were no live warheads on those things, yeah. or the Mexicans really would have been upset. You know, what are you guys doing? But anyway, <laughs> the, the only place in the world in July 1947 where you could check on those three advanced technologies, which would indicate that soon Earthlings would be moving out was southeastern New Mexico. Now, I know, I was on a program in England, a television program, and an English astronomer said, well, they could have gone to the Soviet Union. Sorry, the Russians didn't test their first A-bomb until 1949, August. So uh, what I'm saying is it makes sense that aliens would be checking things out. Look, Look what we spend every year, we Earthlings, on what I would call reconnaissance activities, making sure there's no surprise attacks. You know, one Pearl Harbor is enough. But all those spy satellites up there, the ground radar, the radar on the ocean, uh, you know, we're trying to make sure that nobody attacks us. Uh, There are instructions for what you do if you see an unidentified surface ship, unidentified submarine, unidentified airplane, or unidentified flying object. You report it, and quickly. So what I'm Mm -hmm. saying is, why would anybody be surprised that aliens wouldn't be paying attention to this primitive society whose major activity is tribal warfare, and it very recently demonstrated two things. We figured out how the stars work. Our first H-bomb proved that. And we demonstrated we were willing to kill people with advanced weapons. Uh, you know, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and 200,000 yep. people between those, and then umpteen million others. So uh, aliens don't need to be psychic to determine that this is a warlike society. And we're going to move out. And uh, it you know, behooves that's, them that's... to keep tabs on us. 
that you know that's amazing that it goes perfectly with something that dr michio kaku had said in a, in a lecture which fascinated me by the way he said that to the aliens we're nothing but ants in an anthill and if they're going to come and really announce themselves to us publicly it's only going to be when we go to their territory and make a mess out of it basically when we go out outside of our comfort zone in our solar system and we start going into deep space if we're still hostile at that point then we're going to get the brakes put on us and they're going to announce that they're really here and what's going on and that that makes a lot of sense because really at this point technologically compared to aliens that could travel light years in space i mean we really are ants in an anthill compared to them uh stan we're gonna take nasty a little break ants. here and, <laughs> nasty ants yes we're gonna we're gonna take a little break here we're gonna take a couple okay. callers on uh after the break here just to let you know we have a caller who's patiently waiting we're gonna get to him as soon as we okay. get back from the break we're gonna have more with mr stanton friedman Living legend, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Paranormal Soup Network and on Tenacity Radio's The Jackal's Head. Stick around. We're going to be right back with your calls. So get them going. Get the uh, the switchboards flooded, and let's get some really good calls from Mr. Friedman. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first-ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. This is Cyanide, and I am now a voice inside the jackal's head. This is Jamie Havikin, and I cannot escape the jackal's head. This is Heavenly Angel, and I'm trapped in the jackal's head. Now, I'm a voice from the Jackal's Head, Dennis Crenshaw. This is the Oz Man, one of the voices in the Jackal's Head. <laughs> I am now a voice inside the Jackal's Head. And that was Lloyd Pye. <laughs> I'm Nick Pope, and now I'm a voice inside the Jackal's Head. This is Stephen Bassett, and uh, I am now a voice inside the Jackal's Head. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the, the new king of radio.
Check out Future Theater Radio, hosted by the wonderful Bill and Nancy Burns. If the name sounds familiar, that's because Bill Burns was the host of UFO Hunters on the History Channel, and Nancy Burns runs UFO Magazine at ufomag.com. They started up a new show produced by Land Lamb Fear called Future Theater. It started about a month and a half ago, and I gotta say, they are doing some amazing shows there. Fantastic interviews and just great information that they are getting out to the people 
Their shows air live every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can tune in by going to futuretheater.com. All their past shows are there in the archives, so you got some catching up to do. Future Theater Radio is going to be the next big thing in paranormal and UFO radio. Don't miss out on this great opportunity to be with them from the start. I'm Jamie Havikin for Future Theater Radio. Take care and keep your eyes on the sky. Alrighty, folks, the nasty bugs in outer space are back. Us humans here on the Jackal's Head listening in to a living legend, Mr. Stanton Friedman. Welcome, everybody, back to the show here on Tenacity Radio and the Paranormal Soup Network. Now, guys, we're going to open the phone lines in the next few minutes. Mr. Friedman is going to be on with us for another 10, 15 minutes, and uh, we're going to get your calls. Anybody who wants to call in, please do so. I will be giving out the phone numbers right now. It's 941 548 4291. So please call in and let's get uh, some good questions at Mr. Stanton Friedman. Now, Stanton, welcome back here after the break. And let me ask you right off the bat here I got a two part question for you. And this is going to jump right back into, uh, you know, the big conspiracy when it all started. Let's talk about Blue Book here for a second. Now, my question is, and remember, it's a two part question. The first part is, do you believe Blue Book and other study groups like that originally were set out to misinform the American public? Or they they decide, yes. after seeing that the, the, there was sufficient evidence that really the UFOs and extraterrestrial sources were real, and they decided just to mislead everybody? Do you really believe that's the case? Well, yeah, I think they did exactly that. And in, in a sense, you can't blame them. The Cold War was heating up. What the heck is going on here? We need to know. Uh, are these guys going to attack us? Uh, you know, it isn't enough to say so. They're alien. No big deal. They're not Russian. Well, how do we know they're not working with the Chinese, for example, because the aliens are right. us were little guys, you know? Um, <laughs> so, no, I, I think that uh, Blue Book and uh, Grudge and, and so forth were uh, cover stories. The government had wreckage they had bodies they knew had people who had all kinds of data from military aircraft military radar monitoring flights of these strange vehicles they knew they were real they didn't know what they wanted they didn't know how they operated maybe uh they were concerned you know where we're going to go from here so you know we go back to general bolander saying in 1969 in a memo that led to the demise of project blue book that Reports of UFOs which could affect national security would be made in accordance, uh, are being made in accordance with JNAP, Joint Army Navy Air Force Publication 146 and Air Force Manual 55-11, and are not part of the Blue Book system. Hmm. And he repeated it two paragraphs later. If we close Blue Book, the public won't have a place to report UFOs. However... As previously noted, reports which could affect national security will continue to be investigated using the procedures established for that purpose. So Lubuck was the, the public face, and the media bought it. I mean, the media are so smart, they know nobody could fool them. This is what the government said. Well, it must be the truth, right? Uh, so we, we have that strange situation 
that uh, Blue Book was not a major scientific organization. I mean, I visited uh, the Foreign Technology Division of the Air Force, which had Blue Book under it, a number mm -hmm. of times in the early 60s. And, you know, Blue Book had uh, a, an officer, a sergeant, a secretary, a bunch of filing cabinets, and a once-a-month visit from Dr. J. Allen Hynek. FTD had a dozen scientists and engineers there looking at foreign technology. Uh, Blue Book was a nothing kind of organization. And you can see that the first book I read, fortunately for me, a good choice, I didn't know it at the time, but it was, uh, was uh, uh, the report on unidentified flying objects by Edward Ruppeltz. It was the first head of Project mm, yeah. Blue Book. And it was clear this was not a major undertaking. You know, it wasn't a bunch of guys, a few people. And they had officers at each base, a UFO officer who would supposedly do a little investigating. But this was not something being taken seriously in the intelligence end of things, because what you worry about is those reports which could affect national security. And that, when I talked to General Bolander, and I did, he's dead now, but, and I don't know how to reach him, maybe somebody you guys know uh, can reach him. <laughs> but, but when I talked to him, it was perfectly clear there's a separate channel for reports which could affect national security. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, let's be clear about that, that this isn't just idle stuff. Uh, the stuff that can affect national security, they spend a lot of money on. You know, the radar nets and the spy satellites right. and stuff yep. like that. Somebody has to gather the data from the pilots who take gun camera pictures chasing UFOs. The oh, guys yeah. who take yep. pictures of the radar screens uh, as the saucer goes by with whatever it's chasing or whatever is chasing it. Uh, so there's a whole world out there. And Blue Book uh, was not the high-class scientific effort. Uh, there's no question about that. I visited Project Blue Book a number of times back then. Yep. But it was the not second impressive. part to that question, the second part to that question, Stan, is: uh, Do you think that the reason that you know Operation Blue Book and, and other top secret uh, uh, stuff that you know they put out, or you know just to, I guess, mislead the American public, were done because there was some kind of a treaty done with these extraterrestrials? Of course, we've all oh, heard that the I stories. Know. I, I don't you know, know. We've heard the stories that there's some kind of a secret treaty with the American oh, government. Yeah. And, the, yeah. There's all kinds of stories and conspiracy yeah. theories and so forth. And I don't know. There is good work going on from a guy named Art Campbell out west who has found some people who give an indication that Eisenhower, when he was supposedly playing golf in Georgia, was actually at Holloman Air Force Base meeting with aliens. Yep. And uh, he's found crew members of the, the presidential plane and so forth. Now, if we anybody who's listening happens to know about this, uh, my website is www.stantonfriedman.com. Tells you how come, tells you how to reach me. I would certainly like to hear from somebody who knows about <laughs> these things. You know, yes, somebody who's taken the attitude of General retired General Thomas Jefferson Dubose. I managed to locate him. His picture was there with General Roger Ramey after the Roswell incident. And the last thing he said to me, look, I like what you're doing, Stan. If I remember anything more, I'll let you know. What can they do to me now? He was 87. And so if there's anybody who's listening who is figuring, hey, what can they do to me now? 
I'd like to hear from you. I am not soliciting the release of classified information, violating the rules or anything like that. But if somebody wants to let me know some information, I'd be happy to hear it. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Didn't Art Bell a few years ago, a couple years ago actually, not too long ago, uh, read a report that there was a gentleman who was, I forget his name, he was on his deathbed and he released uh, information about the Roswell case and saying that it was authentic, that aliens did crash, uh, and he was on his deathbed. I, for, I really forget the gentleman's name, but Art Bell we, made we've an had, show about it. We've, we've had several stories been like several. that. And yeah. As we speak, I have two different uh, big leads about Roswell. Now, you never know whether mm -hmm. these things pan out. You know, I'm not promising anything, but it was amazing. Uh, just before I left to go to the MUFON conference, I had two leads. And so I'm listening listen for a third. That would be okay. Obviously, we're running out of Roswell witnesses. But there might be a grandson someplace who said, this is what Grandpa told me before he died, and here's a piece of the material, and I know where to get it analyzed, folks. <laughs> now, we have a caller who's going to be on the line here with us in a, in a couple of minutes, Dan. Are you ready to take a caller tonight? Sure, why not? He's there. <laughs> caller, welcome to the show. You're on live on the Jackal's Head with Mr. Stanton Friedman and little old me. Welcome to the show. Hello? Is he there? He should be. Jamie? Uh-oh. He, he's on the line. I see the number on there. Huh. Wait. Let, let's see. if We might have to call him back in. I think he might have dropped out. Oh, what a shame. What's this, what's this gentleman's name? Christopher. Christopher? Hi. Yes. Hi. Hey, Chris. Christopher. Oh, yes, sir. Mr. Friedman, I'm, I'm glad to speak with you. Oh, I'm delighted. Okay. I'm, What's I'm on your mind? Your work. I've been following your work for a lot of years, and uh, belated happy birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was Thursday. Uh, and it's good to have another one under my belt. Both my parents live yes. to be 90, so I'm hoping that I will match them, and I, that means I would have uh, 14 more years to go. What the heck? I'll take them. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I just wanted to let you know that I'm really excited about your new book, Science Was Wrong, because what you're doing is, is amazing. You're challenging the status quo, and you are trying to redefine what is right and what is wrong. And then to approach the philosophical aspect is wonderful. Well, thank you. I'll tell Kathleen that, my co-author who wrote half the chapters now. I just have one question for you, sir. What propelled sure. you to, to go in this direction? The new book, you mean? Yes, sir. Well, because as we were looking at the UFO stuff, we kept running across these examples of bias, prejudice, ignorance on the part of very smart, very well-educated people. This is just with regard to UFOs. You can't mm -hmm. get here from there, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Governments can't keep secrets which is the biggest malarkey you've ever heard. Uh, right. <laughs> and so we decided, as Kathleen and I were talking, that, hey, you know, it's true. In medic we both have strong medical interests. And uh, in the book, there's a story of Ignaz Semmelweis, one of my heroes. He's the guy who figured out that the reason so many women were dying of childbed fever at this huge hospital, and this is in the uh, 1840s or so, was yeah. that 
Well, over there, the midwives delivered. Only 2% died of childbed fever. Over here, the doctors did their autopsies upstairs, came down, examined the women, and delivered the babies, and 20% of their patients wound up dying of childbed fever. And Hmm. so it's a story that's told in detail in the book, but he figured out it was because they weren't washing their hands, and people say that's ridiculous. No, it isn't. At that time... (laughs) This is, be, you know, the Makes sign sense, of a good yeah. doctor was how bloody his apron was. And yes. we didn't have the, uh, we didn't know about germs and other things like that. So Semmelweis set up procedures for using nail brushes and strong soap and washing and even changing sheets more than once a month, can you believe? Uh, <laughs> and he brought the percentage down from 20% to 2%. But his boss at the hospital was very angry at him. He even published papers because he did some work with rabbits to show the same thing was true and stuff. And he was forced out of the hospital because that's not the way we do things, said the chief doctor, you know. Wow. And for many years, (laughs) the high percentage with childbed fever went on. And so what I'm saying is there are consequences and I appreciated the story of Ignatz. There is a postage stamp done in his honor 100 years after his birth. <laughs> a lot of good that did the women who died, you know. And the children. So uh, that was the point that we decided that it made sense to try to gather up a bunch of this stuff. And I'd already heard some of the anti-space travel stuff. And, you know, I was in industry, and uh, I, and also this business of you can't keep secrets, which I find truly ludicrous. Uh, so it, it sort of fell out. We each came up, you know, every for over a month, we were each calling each other out. How about adding a chapter on this or on that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. Now, we, we could have said more about each one, but the publisher put a word limit <laughs> And, 60,000 uh, well, words or less, right? Well, yeah. It, well, I think it was 65,000 maybe. But, but I mentioned that uh, just as the title got changed by the publisher. That's their right. Uh, the length of the book gets determined by the publisher, too. So, uh, and, and for listeners, you know, book publishing is a crazy business. What else, what other business is there when you can put a product out and they can keep it for a month or two months, and then turn it back for full credit. I mean, yeah. that's what book publishers have to do. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so they hold back on royalties and all this kind of thing. And I, I feel a little bit sorry for publishers uh, because uh, they, they've got to put it all out on the line there. The other thing that's helped, though, is now they send you a PDF file and you have a few days to read it. No galleys anymore. And wow. correct it. And it goes back. And we finished one. And two weeks later, the book was coming off the presses, which is very impressive to me. That's amazing. If you will allow me just one more question. If that is, sure. What Go was, for it. What was, what was um, your initial reaction from your immediate academia? Well, I don't, I'm not in academia. I take great well, pride. Well, the people that I, you would normally associate with, and with oh, why well, you were a physicist. And, well, and that, an there's one, no, so. that's, that there was no problem. I've spoken to 
Oh, engineering societies of Detroit, Cincinnati, Baltimore, half a dozen sections of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, half a dozen sections of Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers, some sections of the American Nuclear Society. Uh, and the response has been uniformly good. Look, I've only had 11 hecklers and over 700 lectures, and two of them were drunk. Amazing. <laughs> uh, and I, I mention this because I want to encourage people to speak out. I mean, there are some rules. Yes, Have yeah. facts in hand before putting mouth yes. in gear. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But, but you will be responded to very nicely and... Uh, my colleagues, uh, the technical societies, because of their enthusiastic response, that when the bottom fell out of the advanced nuclear and space business, as it did about 1970, I went full-time on the UFO scene because, uh, well, it was, they were sold out at the Engineering Society of Detroit for 1,008 people for dinner and a talk three weeks in advance, and there weren't any negative questions. Uh, talk in Pittsburgh, where I was working for Westinghouse, a joint meeting of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics section and the Institute of Electrical Electronic Engineers. And we had a full house, and the janitor had to kick us out when the end of the evening was. And it was the first time that I had mentioned Project Blue Book Special Report 14, biggest study ever done. And I very, well, I, I was a little concerned, but I had a few copies there. <laughs> Well, I, I was selling it, and I didn't want people to say, well, you've told us about that data, but right. there's no place we can find it. How can, why should we trust you? Well, I wanted to say, you want to right, find out right. about the data? Here it is. And they came at me with money. I sold uh, half a dozen copies and took orders for several more. These are engineers. My boss's boss's boss was there. I was young at the time. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> it was the enthusiastic response of my professional colleagues that moved me over in the direction of really doing something. Well, I spoke at Los Alamos National Lab, American Nuclear Society section. We had over 500 people. There weren't any negative wow. questions. And so, uh, you know, it, it gives you a good feeling if you're talking to your colleagues and getting very good responses. Mm -hmm. I'm not a masochist. You're, you're, they're, helping you, they're helping you shift the paradigm, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. the thing is... That they want to know the truth, and they know that secrets can be kept. Mm -hmm. They know that, uh, you know, the technology, there, there are changes. This is the 50th year since the invention of the laser this year. And <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the guys who invented the laser, who got a Nobel Prize for it. Oh, I, I, lo I love the laser. I, I used to build them. Well, okay, then you know how many things it's used for that weren't thought of oh, by absolutely. the guys who invented them, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. And uh, <laughs> they're going to be using it at a huge fusion device at uh, Lawrence Livermore. And uh, that's going to make one zap, if you will, a really powerful <laughs> oh, zap. Boy. Well, you know, I, it, it'll induce fusion, and... I mention fusion, and sometimes people look at me, what are you talking about that for? Well, because every advanced civilization is going to try to figure out how its star produces its energy. So it doesn't take very right. long to realize, boy, is that grinding out the energy up there, you know. Right. And that's nuclear fusion. Uh, and we put that to the test. We figured it out in 38. We tested our first H-bomb in 52. Three-mile-wide fireball. 
as much energy as 10 million tons of TNT. I worked on fusion propulsion systems in early 1960. We can get to the stars if you want to spend the money. I'm not saying we should. Sure. You know, well, I mean, that's a different question. But right, yeah. we know how to do it. Uh, in other words, we don't need to invent and collect unobtainium or unknowium to do it. We still and, have to feed America, right? Well, yeah, we ought to first, feed them. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and so that's why I say that, especially, too, I believe, that if you're going to send a ship to the stars, it should be an earthling ship, not mm. from an individual country. The U.N. doesn't let individual cities in. Right. So I would expect the Galactic Federation says, uh, hey, you've got to have a planet <laughs> to be represented here, guys. And that leads to the obvious question, who speaks for planet Earth? There's not Shelton an obvious Knight. answer. <laughs> I would, I would I choose the so. Dalai Lama. <laughs> well, he's Matthew, got, a i got to go with Shelton on this one. <laughs> oh, okay. Real quick, you know, speaking of uh, of, of Sheldon Nidal, what is your take on the Galactic Federation of Light and Sheldon Nidal's uh, claims? Well, I've heard him speak, and uh, to tell you the God's honest truth, I was not <laughs> impressed. Uh, look, I've read a lot of fiction when I was young. Don't read much, yes. <laughs> much anymore. But, uh, and uh, I was just not impressed. Uh, people forget that they expect people would only speak the truth. Well, you've got a lot of fiction books out there. Yes. I was at a bookstore yeah. today, and there's more fiction than nonfiction, I think. And yeah. it's just as convincing if you didn't know better, you know. So. Yep. Uh, I'm sorry, but uh, I call him as I see him, and Sheldon doesn't cut. There's only mustard. one way to do it. Yes, indeed. I hope so. And again, that's that's why we love talking to Mr. Stan Freeman because he does call it how how he sees him. And you know what? We've actually had this on this show and many other shows is debate about Sheldon Nidal and the Galactic Federation of Light. I, I see him uh, nothing more than a modern day Billy Meyer, or trying to become mm-hmm. like a modern day Billy Meyer. That's really all he is. Okay, I'm not going to argue with him. Yeah. <laughs> Stan, we have a quick question uh, from, from the right. chat here. I have a quick question for you. Uh, Chris, stay on the line here for a second. We're going we're gonna to have you stick around for a second here, but uh, I wanted to ask okay. you, this is a pretty good question in the chat room. I haven't gone through the entire book yet, but I wanted to know also, and actually piqued my interest, uh, in the book, do you guys cover the USS Franklin D. Roosevelt and the, the stories that came out about the USOs as well as the UFOs, which were spotted during the 50s, when the ship was first launched. No, we don't. Only two chapters in the new book talk about UFOs. Mine on UFOs and Kathleen's on uh, the conundrum of UFO abductions. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Franklin, there were some very interesting sightings on the Franklin yep. D. Roosevelt. And uh, there's a good example. The only reason we know is a couple of guys are willing to speak out about what happened when they were on board the ship. And uh, after all, the Na- boy, you want a closed mouth outfit. It's the Navy. I sent him oh, a yes. Co- no, I'm serious about UFOs. Yeah. I sent him a copy of a Joint Air Force Naval Intelligence report on UFO sightings. The guy kept telling me they're freedom of information. We don't have anything about UFOs. So I sent him a copy of the report. It's got Office of Naval Research on there. He says, thank you for the interesting report. As I told you, we still don't have anything about UFOs. So if there are Navy guys listening... And yes, I, as a matter of fact, uh, Carl Feint, F-E-I-N-D-T, just finished a book. I don't know if it's available yet. 
about USOs, unidentified submerged objects. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, big oceans out there and a lot of stuff at the bottom of the ocean besides the fish dinners. Uh, and uh, I, I think they're an important part of the picture. And if they work the way I think they do, magnetoaerodynamic or electromagnetic mm-hmm. submarine type stuff, they ought to work under the water and above the water. Ionize the air, and it's like seawater, you know, an electrically conducting fluid. So I would love to see more done on that. And his book, I think he's got over a thousand instances. And some of these things going well over 100 uh, knots, over 100 miles an hour, underwater. Wow. That's pretty hot stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. See, Bingo. this is why you are my favorite person to have on the show and again thank you so much for being on here tonight i, I know that it's a little bit late in you know, your time zone and uh, you know i appreciate yeah. the fact that you were able to spend some time with us and for everything you do like i said earlier tonight uh you know i really do want to say thank you for everything you've done to and you've brought to ufology and i you know i look forward to talking to you again in the very near future sir and thank you again for being here tonight my pleasure www.stantonfriedman.com find it all there yeah, before you leave, they can find all the books and everything on the website, and they can buy them. You have a really cool thing on the website, which I did see, which I saw it after I got the book. I got it somewhere else, and now I have to go buy another copy. You have an autographed copy, which will be sent to people if they buy directly from the website. Is that right? Oh, yes, and it has both yeah. signatures when it's written by Kathleen and myself. We use book plates. We don't send the books yes. back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be uh, probably buying another copy so I can get that autograph from you, sir, because right. I want to have a collection of autographs books by Mr. Stan Friedman. Thank you again so much for for being here and My I'm going to let you go now for the night, sir. Thank you. Thanks. Good night. Good night, sir. That was the living legend, Mr. Stanton Friedman, on yes. the Jackal set tonight, guys. An amazing gentleman. And like I said, one of the most credible people you're going to find when it comes to talking about ufology, Roswell, anything that has to do with the with this topic that we all spent a lot of nights discussing. Mr. On shows UFO like this and other shows. Yep. Mr. UFO himself. <clears throat> yes, indeed. Uh, Chris, are you still on the line there with us? Yes, I am. Now we wanted to keep you on the line so you can plug the show and let people know who you are and where they can see you. Sure. Thanks. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Christopher Corey, and I'm a cast member of Mary Knows Best on Sci-Fi. Thursdays at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find me on ChristopherCorey.com or www.MotherTreeFoundation.com. That's great. Yeah, I'm Very a big cool. fan of the show. It's it's an excellent show. And it's followed up by Factor Faked. That's another uh, amazing show that's been going yeah, on. Yeah, I like that very much. And I, like I got to say, I, I love both shows. I, I watch both shows every week. And, uh, you know, very interesting. Very interesting. Thanks. Hey, why don't you give us a bumper also, uh, Chris, while you're <laughs> yeah. at it? Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, you know the gist of it. I heard, uh, yes, this is Christopher Corey of, of Sci-Fi's Mary Knows Best, and I'm talking from within the jackal's head. That'll work. Yes, that will work. <laughs> that will work. That's cool. I'm going to have to start checking out the uh, the show. It's called Mary Knows Best. Yep, Thursday yes, nights. Yes, yes, absolutely. Very it's cool. A, I'm going to check a, that it's out. It's this a new Thursday. show, and hopefully we'll go a long way. Oh, yeah, it's going to oh, go man, a long man. way. I'm telling you, you guys have a, a big viewership, a lot of fans already. Um, 
Uh, of course, we got to talk about upcoming shows after this. We have two shows to choose yes. from tonight, but I'm telling you, <clears throat> uh, Jesse, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Tonight, I'm going to <laughs> Unraveling the Secrets. I am not flipping my coin. Uh, Unraveling the Secrets is having Gary Anderson from Australia yes. and his interview with Stephen Bassett while he is yes. down there. They're going to have uh, multiple other guests. Uh, De Lucia, that guy, I can't pronounce his name. Yeah. I murder it. Rick's I think also it's Dean DeLucia. Dean yeah. DeLucia, I believe is his name. Yeah. Yep. And they're going to be talking about uh, the oil and much more. You can tune into that by going to the ParanormalTVNetwork.com and choosing Channel 1. Uh at the top of the hour in seven minutes. And for you know, for Jesse's sake, let's let's plug his show a little bit here, also because he's ahead. a good friend of the show. Uh, anybody who uh, doesn't want to check out Gary Anderson's fascinating, amazing interview <laughs> with good friend Mr. Stephen Bassett, who's another living legend. Am I selling that enough, guys? Yeah, yeah. If you guys are, if you don't want to spend two hours listening to a living legend like Stephen Bassett, a man who's doing the work that he is doing to try to bring disclosure all then around can, the world, and when we and say when the he world, says the world, we mean the, the world. world. Now, if you don't want to sit there and listen to that, that's fine. By all means, you can go to Jesse's Euphonaut Radio Show, which you can check out on euphonautradio.com. He's going to have Mr. Stuart Swerdlow on his show. So let's balance that. Stuart Swerdlow, <laughs> Stephen Bassett. Say that backwards. Gosh darn it. <laughs> yeah, this I don't know week, about that I mean, one, Jesse. I, I truly do. I seriously, in all honesty, I flip a coin every week. Yes. But this week, I can't flip a coin. Dennis sent me his book signed. And signed yes, in the did. only spot where he signs it to friends. Great book, uh, Secrets of Del Shaw. Amazing. Get it at secretsadelshaw.com. Yes. Chris, thanks so much for calling in. I, you know, I'm definitely going to check out the show. Uh, I'm going to yeah. put it on my calendar here so every Thursday I don't miss it. That's so great. I can check out the show. Thanks a lot, guys, every, every, for having everybody me tonight. Everybody go. It. Yeah, everybody go to Facebook. You can find Chris on there and the show on there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, keep in contact. And, Chris, I'll keep in contact with you, and maybe we can bring you on someday to, uh, yeah. you know, talk about your background. I know you're into radio. We've seen you on the show into radio. And mm -hmm. uh, I know you know a lot just from the little clips I've seen. So it would be interesting to have you on as a guest. So maybe we'll entertain Absolutely. that idea soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a great night, guys. That, you too. That might be the best idea you've had all night, Jamie. Good yes. Time. Thanks, Take Chris. care, Chris. <laughs> Take care, bud. Bye-bye. All right, guys, we're going to uh, go ahead and wrap it up here for the evening on Tenacity Radio and the Paranormal Soup Network. We're going to be back on tomorrow night. We're going to have a four-hour show tomorrow. Yes, Sunday nights now starts at 10 p.m. on the Paranormal Soup Network. It goes you. on for two hours and then for two more hours on Tenacity Radio simulcast. So it's a four-hour show. Go ahead, Jamie. I was going to say, I'll tell you what, I'll broadcast Unraveling the Secrets on the Paranormal Soup Network. Um that's a brilliant idea. We should okay. definitely start doing so, that yeah, every drop, single drop time. The yeah. stream, drop the stream when we're done here, and I'll broadcast Unraveling the Secrets. Sounds like a beautiful idea, a beautiful plan. So everybody just stick around right here on the Paranormal Soup Network. You'll be able to listen to Mr. Dennis Crenshaw and Mr. Rick Osmond with their guest, Mr. Gary Anderson, and his amazing interview with Stephen Bassett. It's amazing. So for fun. my co-host, Mr. Jamie Havican, for our guest tonight, Mr. Stanton Friedman, who is an amazing gentleman, for our caller, Mr. Chris, who called in, 
Thank you for calling in again. Everybody who's been listening in on both the Paranormal Soup Network and on Tenacity Radio, I want to thank you for spending the last two hours here with us. And tomorrow we'll see you guys again at 10 o'clock only on the Paranormal Soup Network and Tenacity Radio at midnight. So stick around for that tomorrow. For now, stick around for Dennis and Rick and Unraveling the Secrets right here, guys, on the Paranormal Soup Network. We're going to go for a little break here to wrap it up, and then we're going to be... Listening to Unraveling the Greetings, Earthlings. This is Captain Smell So Good of the Starship Smelly Prize with my international co-host, Sayonai. And when we're not soaring through the cosmos looking for alien chicks, we're hanging out in the nuttiest head on and off the internet. That is the Jackal's Head on ParanormalSoupNetwork.com. This is Cyanide, and I am now a voice inside the Jackal's Head. I'm Jeremiah Greer from Shadows in the Dark Radio, and I am now a voice inside the Jackal's Head. This is Stephen Bassett, and uh, I am now a voice inside the jackal's head. This is Heavenly Angel, and I'm trapped in the jackal's head. This is the Oz Man, one of the voices in the jackal's head. This fat war rocket Ajax to bring back his body.